Hello and welcome to the Fossil Huntress podcast. Today on the show we're going to talk about woolly mammoths, sort of the poster child for our Ice Age uh, vision of the world. And these were true elephants, unlike their less robust cousins, the mastodons. Mammoths were bigger, both in girth and in height, and weighed in at a whopping 13 tons. We'll talk a little bit about them on today's show. So the woolly mammoth is the best known of all the mammoths, and we sometimes call them woolly mammoths, northern mammoths, uh, Siberian mammoths, but by any name, they are uh, beautiful and large animals. So they were closely related to Asian elephants, and they're roughly the size of the African elephants we find roaming the grasslands in Africa today. And these are big boys, so if you stood beside one and reached way up as an adult, you might be able to touch his tusks, but certainly not um, up to his mouth or his eyes, um, you know, unless you're very tall, and not to the top of the head. So they're, they're very large animals and they had a shaggy coat. It could be light-haired or dark-haired, depending on their lineage and genetics. And they had big outer hair strands on the outside, and these covered a dense, thick undercoat, which was an adaptive piece to handle the cold. Um, They had oil glands that would have been working over time to secrete the oils that gave him a natural, and I'm guessing pretty stinky, waterproofing. So the oils secreted into the hair, into that bed of hair, and then the outer hairs, um, giving them a, a, a little advantage for the cold, certainly, and also for the rain and the snow to kind of rinse off instead of soaking in so they could stay warm. Some of those hair strands that we've recovered, and we are seeing more and more mastodons as the as the ice melts around the world and the permafrost melts, we're starting to see both mastodons and uh, uh, woolly rhinos and other critters that have been frozen in the snow are beginning to see more of them so we can understand more about their genetics and um, how they were structured. So the hair strands that were on the outermost layer um, so just to give you a scale of size or more than a meter in length and these guys had those big long curved tusks they had little ears and shorter tails so when you uh, want to stay warm you want to limit your surface area so those little ears and short tails um, also speak to a cold environment and these guys grazed on leaves and shrubs and grasses um, and it would have been a fair amount of work in the, as the northern hemisphere was covered in ice and snow during their reign. And often the teeth of mammoths is all that you find. So on this morning's post on the Archaea blog, I put a disarticulated fellow. So there's um, two sets of teeth here and they kind of look like footprints. I think of them as looking like the the ink um, when they carve from wood those ink plates in a printing press. That's how I think of them. And so they're generally, you know, the size of a dinner plate but narrower with bands across. And if you have them in your collection or you see them in the collections and they've dried out and fallen apart, each of those individual bands breaks into a separate piece. They're sometimes um, 
misinterpreted as sort of, you know, a calcite piece or something mineral. Um, but they're very diagnostic and they've got a very robust bone structure. So if you look at the photo, there are some there and I'll, I'll post a few others. And so those large molars that kind of look like footprints, they're big and flat, would have been perfect for grinding up the plentiful grasses that sustain them. So the grasses around that time had fairly low nutritional value, but you get enough of them in you and it fills your belly and it did the trick to sustain them. And those big curved tusks, so they would have been used for displays, you know, hey ladies, very sexy, we should mate. Uh, for maybe a little bit of tussling with rival males to kind of say, you know, she's mine, not yours. And then a little bit for digging through the snow and the ice to get down to uh, life-giving water for a little sip-sip, a little drink. And then also for digging through the snow and ice that would have been over top of those grasses. Because during their time on this earth, it was much colder, lots of snow and ice. And they would have used those tusks like um, plows to dig through to get to what they needed to eat and drink. Their body size, you know, getting up to 13 tons, offered protection against other predators once they were full grown. But sadly for the juveniles, they would have offered a fairly tasty snack to big cats like Homotherium, who roamed those ancient grasslands alongside them. So the woolly mammoths uh, roamed widely in the Pliocene to Holocene, and they were in much of Africa and Europe and Asia and North America. And then we first see them about 150,000 uh, um, years ago in Russia and then expanding out um, to Spain and Alaska. The individual animals enjoyed a fairly long lifespan, so 60 to 80 years. And that's about 20 years longer than a mastodon and longer than a modern elephant. So they were very long lived. So once they got through the risky juvenile, I'm tasty stage of being small and, and at risk of being eaten, and they got to full size, they tended to live a long time. And they enjoyed a prime position in the sort of apex predator of the megafauna um, uh, ecosystems in which they lived, but then they declined. The environment and food resources, and partially because of their coexistence with humans, um, we probably would have hunted the smaller uh, juveniles so they wouldn't have reached adulthood and mated instead of trying to take down a big boy. Um, but in places where the fossil record shows a preference for hunting, um, we see that the humans um, didn't want to didn't want to tackle the big mastodons. Certainly not the full grown. So um, they chose rodents and primates and other things that were both tasty and easier to catch. And we also see this in present day Africa, where the last of the large and lovely megafauna, so the big uh, elephants, and humans coexist today. So my relatives and your relatives way back would have seen real life woolly mammoths. So um, we see them expressed in uh, some of the world's oldest cave art. Not so long ago in the UK, um, Britain's oldest artwork was unearthed in the Channel Island of Jersey. 
and it shows a scene of mammoths in ancient lands now drowned by the sea. And these drawings are probably 15,000 years old, and they show a vast land bridge um, known as the Doggerland that connected the British Isles to the European continent. So in the drawing, we see mammoths and a, a bovid animal like a bison or an ox. Um, there's also a horse. And these were all prey animals to human hunters at the time. So it's interesting to see them grouped together and interesting to see our collective relatives um, uh, drawing them and, and providing an image or a, a snapshot of their world from back in the day. As well as discovering that cave art in Jersey, just this past summer, a man following a reindeer herd in northwestern Siberia made another uh, pretty amazing discovery. So um, as the ice and the snow have been receding and um, individuals that have been frozen in those uh, bits of ice and snow have started to be revealed, we're seeing more and more of these finds. So this was a, an enormous skull of a woolly mammoth that dates back about 10,000 years. And um, they made an even larger discovery. So we find both the mammoth, the full remaining skeleton, but also some of its soft tissues, a bit of its wool, and even a piece of fossilized poop, a uh, coprolite. Um, so it gives uh, an insight, a lens into um, what this animal was eating in its last meal, um, what happened just before its death, and what was happening during the Ice Age in northwestern Siberia. So these were big beasts that walk the earth for a long, long time, and then we start to see them die out about 15,000 years ago. So the woolly mammoths from the Ukrainian-Russian plains died about 15,000 years ago. We see the populations in the St. Paul Island in Alaska die out about 5,600 years ago. And quite surprising, at least to me, the last mammoth died just 4,000 years ago. So this was in the frosty ice on a small island, the island of Wrangell in the Arctic Ocean. And their final days were not, uh, were not proud days. They were scratching out a kind of dwindling existence. By this point, they had a lot of genetic mutations. They were living in a world of howling winds and rain-darkened hills and subsistence on really tough grasses grown in thin soil. But it seems the island of Wrangell will likely not be the end of their story. So there's various folks around the world who've wrestled with whether we can de-extinct um, the mammoths. So we now have pieced together the genomes of about four different mammoths over the past few years. And we've got better tools. We've got tools like CRISPR, which um, is a genetic tool which has revolutionized the science of genetic engineering. So it allows us to place specific individual genes that code for specific characteristics into the genome of living creatures. So we can splice now and make hybrids. But there are also projects like the Woolly Mammoth Project um, where they're reading and writing DNA. So because I see an upswell and I see some funding in this, is it possible we could genetically engineer a mammoth? 
know, there'd be nobody to raise it. We'd have to put it with a kind of similar species to guide its behavior growing up and give it lots of love. But could we do it? Quite possibly we could. So it will be interesting to watch as the future story of the mammoth unfolds and whether or not we can in fact bring them back and put them back into the closest ecosystems that would work for their, their style of surviving and thriving anyway. Thank you for listening and we'll talk again soon.